Well, it is really my great joy and privilege to come and open the word on this special birth date, birthday of the church where the Holy Spirit is poured out. I do have one regret, and that is that John Craig was to be here to preach, and I would have loved to be sitting and just listen and take in from my dear brother. Uh, he's not feeling well, so I just want to begin and pray for him. Let's just do that together, and if you're comfortable, lift a hand and we'll ask the Spirit to just touch him. Lord, thank you for John. We love him so much, and we ask you just to renew him, recharge him, touch him in every way encourage him. We pray that the Holy Spirit would fill him even as we're here here tonight. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, I want to begin tonight with a, with a liturgy of sorts, a prayer. In fact, it's a musical prayer, and it goes like this, and you might know it. You can sing along with me if you do. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. Melt me, mold me, fill me, use me. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh We are here on this Sunday night, 28 May 2023, because we want to tangibly identify with Christians all around the world for a commemoration of Pentecost. It commemorates the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that we read about in Acts chapter 2. However, I have to be honest with you and say I'm here to question whether commemoration is really enough for us. Or are we really, if all our propriety and churchiness and theological refinement were stripped away, and it was just us, with spiritual learnings really laid bare open, are we here wanting more than a commemoration? or something more like an experienciation. Now don't worry if that baffles you, that's a word that I just now made up. <laughs> experienciation. If you're here to commemorate the Holy Spirit, you're going to be wholly dissatisfied. But if you're here for an experientiation, maybe God will meet us. 
You can try that difficult new word in the vocabulary. Say it with me, experientiation. <laughs> Let's add it to our theological jargon. <laughs> Many of us come here tonight because we will not settle for a commemoration with regard to the Holy Spirit. But we realize tonight that as if God is going to offer us, if God is offering us something more like an experientiation, a moving of, a melting of, filling of, a molding of, a using of God by his Holy Spirit. Spirit of the living God, use me. Tonight I want to, as well, for us to give attention to the centrality of the work of the Holy Spirit amongst us. But by jumping ahead from chapter 2 in the book of Acts to another account of a later outpouring of the Holy Spirit recorded in Acts chapter 10, verse 34 and following, giving us Peter's sermon that was delivered specially in a new geographical area at the estate of Cornelius, the arch enemy of the Jewish believers, a Roman centurion. Beginning at verse 34 of chapter 10, we can read now. I'm going to read those just to set the context. Opening his mouth, Peter said, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality. But in every nation, in every nation, the one who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. The word which he sent to the sons of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know the thing that happened throughout Judea starting from Galilee after the baptism which John proclaimed. You know how of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. We are witnesses of all the things that he did both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They also put him to death by hanging him on a cross. God raised him up on the third day and granted that he be revealed, not to all the people, but to witnesses who had been chosen beforehand by God. That is to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. And he ordered us to preach to the people and to testify solemnly that this is the one who has been appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify of him that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. Tonight, however, we want to concentrate on the denouma of it all, recorded in verses 44 to 48, which we're going to concentrate on in our thinking together tonight. We can read those verses now. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the word, the message. All the Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed 
because the gift of the Holy Spirit had also been poured out on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting God. Then Peter responded, Surely no one can refuse the water for these to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did, can he? And he ordered, ordered, commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to stay on for a few days. As we study this now quite carefully, there are really just two themes that clearly come out in this passage I want to suggest. One, of course, is the Holy Spirit. The other is missions. And I think this passage is meant to show us how these two interrelate in what we should call spirit-empowered missions. Spirit-empowered missional lives. Tonight we're going to begin with the theme of missions. The passage, first of all, helps us, I think, define mission as it is brought out in that critical phrase at the end of verse 45, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had also been poured out on the Gentiles. These Gentiles are differentiated from the Jewish believers earlier in this same verse 45, meaning, of course, Jews who had become Christians. And we note very carefully how Luke, the writer of Acts, specifically wants us to know how this caused amazement on the part of all those who had come with Peter. Do you see that in the middle of verse 45? Clearly because the reality of mission was sinking in as being God's purpose directed to all the various cultures of the Gentiles and certainly not restricted to just Jews. Perhaps nothing should so lead us both to the physical and emotional reaction of amazement as the missionary heart, the missional agenda, the missionary activity, the missional purpose of God. When you begin to understand God's heart for all the nations, for all peoples, peoples like you and peoples very different from you, I think that is the greatest reason to say how wonderful I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene. Nazarenes should be amazed at the missional purpose of God and want to live it. 
all of this then serves to define mission for us as understood in the New Testament as it means taking the life, the message, the miracles, the death, the resurrection, the ascension of Jesus Christ, what biblical scholars refer to as the Christ event, applying the Christ event to all people everywhere, no matter what race, creed, age, language, or culture, whether across oceans or simply across the street where you live. I invite us to be amazed, like Peter and his friends, that God included the Gentiles, that the Holy Spirit fell on them. However, there is more for the passage also subtly, subtly suggests something about the practice of this kind of New Testament model of mission. It's hinted at in the very concluding sentence of the entire passage at the very end of verse 48 when it says something that you might easily skip over. Then they asked him to stay on for a few days. The Greek word translated here as a few days is tinos. And it can mean in Greek, of the Koine Greek of the New Testament. It can mean two or three days. It can mean three weeks. It can mean three months. It can mean many, many days. Luke the writer is subtle to leave it for you. Because the whole idea here is that Peter and his friends did the radical thing, the radical thing of staying with, living with, building relationships with a whole bunch of Gentiles for quite a long period of time, minimally three days, maybe three months, in order to build real relationships with them. Because I want to suggest this is how mission is best done. How it is practiced. Not through programs. Not through booklets that you hand out. Dare I say, not even primarily through sermons. No matter how good they are. But through real relationships. These friends from the Mideast all come from Muslim backgrounds. And I'm so happy to tell you I just have a relationship with them. I love them. I know them. I, I eat with them. I cry with them. I go to court with them. I write letters for them. This is how we do mission. Don't skip over that end of the passage. They asked him to stay on for a few days, three or 10 or 20 or 60 days. So I want to urge you as a church here at 
Perth and at Erskine at Ardrossan and Paisley and all the places. I'll offend you because I don't remember. Parkhead and Upper Room Church. Let's commit ourselves to relationships with Gentiles, with people left out in the past. And finally, the text is very direct in telling us about what we could call the evidence of fruitful mission. That is, of course, baptism, as we read about in verses 47 and 48. Surely no one can refuse the water for these to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did, can he? And he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. We could note the strong language in verse 48 in particular when it actually tells us that Peter ordered them. Prostasso, a very strong word. He, he commanded, he gave no options. This was absolutely necessary baptize them, and it's all to reinforce how important this is as the fruit of mission. That is the life-changing commitment to Jesus Christ that baptism actually dramatizes. Ian alluded to just three weeks ago, we had a baptism, and there were 18 people baptized. In June, there'll be another baptism. 17 will be baptized. And in July, another 18 will be baptized. And a, amongst other things, it is a drama of the life change that Jesus brings to an individual's life that they do such a radical thing as be plunged in water, come up soaking wet, saying, my old life is dead and I live anew. Baptism as the fruit of mission of changed lives. But throughout the New Testament, mission is utterly and always completely dependent not on how gifted you are, not on how smart you are, not on how charming you are, not on how good the music is or how fantastic the preacher is. Throughout the New Testament, the mission of God is wholly dependent on the Holy Spirit. And so it is not surprising that the work of the Holy Spirit is the other main theme in this passage to which we now turn. First, we cannot do justice to the passage if we do not note the very specific context in which the Holy Spirit moves, at least in this account. This is made dramatically, grammatically very prominent as the passage brings out in verse 44. Here's the context in which the Holy Spirit began to move while Peter was still speaking these words. And the Holy Spirit, it says, fell upon all who were listening to the message, to the word. Luke wants us to know, it is showing us how the moving of the Holy Spirit must be in concert with the proclamation of the word of God. 
I get suspicious when I hear all sorts of Holy Spirit activity that is not under the authority of the proclamation of God's Word. But when the Word is preached and taught and lived and demonstrated, you can trust whatever the Holy Spirit wants to do, let Him do it. Because it happens while they're listening to Peter's words and the message of the truth. If we want to be missional people, I think one of the absolutely needed ingredients is absolute commitment to the authority of the Bible. We don't shirk on it. We don't change it. We don't try to adapt culture to the Bible, but we allow the Bible to say this is how we should live. And when you do that, you can trust anything the Holy Spirit wants to do. It also is important to see how the passage secondly offers us an understanding of the Holy Spirit himself in a very particular way. Do you see the metaphor that Luke uses here when he refers to the Holy Spirit in verse 45 as the gift of the Holy Spirit. It lends itself to a hugely important pneumatological, that's a fancy word for studying the Holy Spirit, and the namesake of your church, a Trinitarian distinctive, that you do not earn the Spirit, you do not work yourself up into a state of spirit indwelling. You do not manipulate the spirit. No, the work of the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit is a gift from God the Father. So that it really becomes quite simple as it would ask you and me the question even tonight. Do I want this gift? Indeed, the rest of the Bible and even more so the New Testament itself, we learn that the Holy Spirit is a gift to us to enable us, to empower us, to teach us, to embolden us, to protect us, to send us, to give us gifts. Not so much, in fact, I think not at all for ourselves, for our selfish concerns or personal therapy, psychological embeddement or emotional highs. Certainly not for spiritual prowess or some gradation of spiritual one-upmanship. I have the spirit and this one doesn't. No, but a gift for the sake of mission. A gift to so be melted and molded and filled and used that we become missionaries, wherever we are. Oh, because people 
even some of us, even me, can seek spirit empowerment based on wholly uninspired motivations, self-promotion, self-enhancement, self-glory, even self-pleasure so as to feel good. I think that's a heresy. I think the Holy Spirit often leads us into not feel-good situations, into very hard situations and demanding and challenging, and it does not feel good. But the Spirit, we obey. In the New Testament, spirit empowerment is for mission and missional living. To, in essence, make effective. To, in essence, make effective that God so loved the world. God so loved the world. That's why we need spirit empowerment to put that into effect and to show the world how much God loves them. I looked through Trinity Church Perth website and I was so happy to see your vision to be a missional people. And I commend it, and I say, let the Spirit fill you, not so you feel good, but that you can, in effect, show God so loved the world. And third, the passage is very purposeful in telling us about the moving of the Holy Spirit. Can't escape that in this passage, can you? How, in other words, how the Holy Spirit moved in this account. In verse 44, we read that the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the word. And then further down, the text says that the Holy Spirit has been, had been poured out upon the Gentiles in verse 45. And finally, in verse 47, the text refers to those who have received the Holy Spirit. It is clear here that Luke is quite intentional in his ordering of Holy Spirit movement. Fell upon poured out, received. Because I can call upon God to allow the Holy Spirit to fall upon you. I can call upon God to cause the Holy Spirit to be poured out upon you. But to receive implies, doesn't it, your volition, your openness, your posture of receptivity, your desire and free will decision to receive. The Holy Spirit can 
fall upon us this very night, the Spirit can be poured out, but only you can receive. That's a volitional requirement. Luke's language here in the original language of the Greek text is focused on what it means to receive is blatantly in the active voice, calling on your own active choice to receive. It's not passive. It's not God doing it to you. It is you saying, I receive actively. So the question is as simple as it is straightforward. Is this something you want to act on? Is this gift something you want to, to receive? To have the Holy Spirit fall upon you, to have the Holy Spirit poured out on you, that you receive the Holy Spirit even this night? I don't want to settle for a commemoration. I want an experientiation. And it will require a receptive posture from you, from me. And then the text is quite clear in telling us about the evidence of this fruit, of the powerful moving of the Spirit, records in verse 46, when it tells us that they were hearing them speaking with tongues. Do not have time tonight to talk about that. I wish I could come and teach it in depth, not only to you, but to our upper room gang. Except to say this, that speaking in tongues is a real phenomenon in the New Testament. But it is not the only fruit of the Holy Spirit. From my theological framework, I would say it this way, not everyone who has the Holy Spirit poured upon them speaks in tongues, but there's another fruit of the Spirit provided for us right at the same time in verse 46 records another very real important evidence, the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit at work where it says, and they were exalting God. I believe not everyone who has the Holy Spirit poured upon them speaks in tongues. Some do. Tonight, if the Holy Spirit comes and you speak in tongues, I'll say, praise God, bless that. But a sure evidence of the Holy Spirit at work in you for everyone is that you will delight in your life, your words, your behavior, exalting the Lord. And in this passage, the way it's set up, both the phenomena of speaking in tongues with a spoken language or a prayer language and the expression of exalting God is for the purpose of mission, for missional living, in every dimension for every question, spirit-empowered mission. God has a purpose in allowing the Holy Spirit to fall. God has a purpose in 
causing the Spirit to be poured out. God has a purpose in wanting you to receive this gift. And the purpose is for God so loved the world. Mission. Spirit-empowered mission. And thus now our liturgy, our musical prayer becomes now an invitational prayer. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh. Melt me. Mold me. Fill me. Use me. For God's magnificent mission. To make effective, to embody, to demonstrate the very heart of God that God so loved the world. And so I'm going to conclude with a, that liturgy song again. I'm going to ask you to stand and sing it with me, if we can put it on the screen. We're just going to sing it a cappella. And as we sing, I invite you to be receptive to the Holy Spirit as a gift for spirit empowerment, for his missional purpose to be worked out in and through you. And if you'd like to come to the front to say to God, I want this gift of the Holy Spirit I want to be empowered so as to be your missional Christian. Then I invite you to step forward and make that clear to God. Come here and kneel if you like. We're just going to sing this through a few times. No flash, no smoke, no instruments, just voices. This liturgical prayer. Come if you would like as we sing together. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. Amen. Uh -huh.
one more time. Spirit.